Hi, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Robbins. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Deborah Diamond on the show. Deborah is a natural psychic medium and medical intuitive who was gifted with her abilities as a child. She provides remarkable insights for her clients to assist in healing and expansion. Deborah is a former top-ranked Wall Street money manager, regular CNBC commentator, and former professor at Johns Hopkins University, who left a prominent career to pursue a life of service and spirituality. She is committed to helping others and to assist through spirit. Deborah earned her MBA from the George Washington University, a master's certificate in contemporary art from Christie's Education, and a PhD from the Esoteric Interfaith Theological Seminary. That's a mouthful. She is a graduate of the Holistic Studies Institute of New York and has completed mediumship training at Arthur Finlay College in the UK and trained at the Carl Jung Institute in Analytical Psychology in Zurich, Switzerland. Wow, quite a resume there. So today we are going to be discussing some of the insights from your new book, Diary of a Death Doula. So welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you so much, Amy. It is a true pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you. So you are the first death doula I've had on the show. Uh, So I've been researching this a little bit, but can we start with some of the basics about what is a death doula for those who have never heard of it? Sure. So, you know, the the term death doula is fairly new, but I think many people are familiar with the term birth doula. Birth doulas are midwives, say, assist women uh, as they're, you know, an usher birth into the world. And death doulas sort of bookend life. They usher people, they usher people out of the world. So um, the, the idea of a death doula is, is fairly recent. We don't know exactly how many death doulas there are, but it's probably in the thousands. And because it's a, it's a new uh, term and a new service, um, the concept is still being shaped. There are some death doulas who... Um, get involved with wills and with funeral arrangements. There are some death doulas who get involved with the families uh, and legacy projects. Um, I'm a death doula who sits bedside with the actively dying at hospice. And actively dying means uh, 20, the last 24 to 48 hours of life. Now, having said that, they don't always get it right. You know, they're right. I was going to say, how do you know that? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think probably your listeners have had the experience. Some of them where, you know, they're told a loved one is going to pass in a, in a week and they're, you know, six months later, they're still there. Nobody really knows. And we can talk about that because death is a process. It's not just about the body. It's about the soul and the body. So there's no real way to predict, you know, accurately when death is going to occur. And what what's the difference? You're a little bit of a different death doula because most death doulas are not mediums. Mm-hmm. How does that change your experience of the dying process? Yeah, thank you. Good question. So, I mean, as far as we know, most death most death doulas are not mediums. But you know, I, I have to say this: you know, many hospice nurses, because they're around the dying, see plenty see, you know, into the, Mm -hmm. they may not talk about it. Uh, They may not talk about it in a clinical setting, but, you know, they see a lot. 
And I feel like there are probably many death doulas who, you know, after spending repeated time uh, in, in a sacred uh, energetic place, you know, probably also have experiences, but not all, not everyone talks about it. Now, I am a medium and a death doula, but not all death doulas are mediums, but because I am, I'm able to see both sides at end of life. And how does it change your experience? Well, I, you know, I can't say because I'm not, because I am a medium. That's part of the package that I come with. But um, you're like a bonus death doula. <laughs> yeah, somehow that sounds like a, uh, infomercial, but <laughs> right. yeah, sign up for this free bonus. Right. But um, I, you know, when I sit bedside, I'm able to see the the patients journeying, which they do at end of life. You know, many of them visit um, familiar familiar uh, memories, uh, familiar places that are special to them. They may go back and and revisit um, favorite things from their childhood or family members. Um, I see all of that, you know, I see them, them journeying as they transition. I see loved ones in spirit who come into the rooms. And, you know, there are many anecdotal stories and some semi-scientific stories about um, loved ones in spirit entering the rooms of the dying. Now, when I was doing my training as a uh, death doula, we were told that patients have hallucinations, that they think they see these things, but they really don't. Um, all I can say is if they're hallucinations, all the patients are having the same hallucination. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have seen in the rooms of the dying, I've seen loved ones in spirit in all of the rooms. They come in pretty routinely. Um, they are there to provide support and comfort, and the um, patients know that they're there. They recognize that they're there, and they appreciate that they're there. So, you know, that's something that I see. Um, I see... Um, celestial workers uh, with uh, the patients at end of life, angels and guides, you know, they're, they're involved in the process too, because, you know, what you're talking about at end of life is a, is a transformation, a type of spiritual transformation as we leave our physical bodies. And um, it's, it's affected with a lot of unseen help by the universe, um, unseen by most people. And mm -hmm. because it's unseen, you know, and I think what most people see when they enter the room of a hospice patient or somebody dying, they see a body that's lying there that looks like, it looks like nobody's home. And um, it scares people, you know, because we associate death with the physical body. And if it looks like there's nothing going on with the physical body already, we've decided that that person's gone. But there's so much more going on in the invisible world than most people uh, realize. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, Diary of a Death Doula, because I wanted to get this conversation about death and dying uh, out in the open. It is, there is a taboo around it. There's a stigma around it. Most people would rather walk over hot coals and talk about death. But it's important to have the conversations and to realize that um, uh, there's, there's, you know, much more involved than uh, most people realize. Now, I, something I talk about in my book is how, you know, our view of death is relatively recent. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, death is frightening and scary and the, mm -hmm. end, you know, the end of us. It, yeah. It's relatively new, you know, only in the last several hundred years. Up until then, death was part of life. And even if you go back to ancient times, Mesopotamia, Egypt, uh, the Maya culture, the Incas, 
um, they consider death to be part of sort of the universal experience of being here and, you know, it being also a part of the universe. Um, in the Inca culture, uh, people would, uh, when their loved one would, would die, they would put them in a chair and um, tie them up and then take them with them to parties. <laughs> and they would, it's like weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. <laughs> and they would also, you know, consult them. And in, you know, other ancient cultures, you know, in the Mayan culture, the, in the Egyptian cultures, they buried them under the floor of the living room. I mean, they continued to live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so they were very much part of the family. They stayed part of the family. Those cultures, of course, were much more in tune with the universe than we are. I mean, they had many more rituals and practices that were part of their lives. Um, we don't. Today, uh, most people don't live near their loved ones. So when you die or when, you know, you're, you're, you're ill and you're, you know, possibly going to die, you're transported to hospice or a hospital, which is a very clinical setting. There's mm-hmm. oftentimes no loved ones around and uh, it's scary. You know, it's very clinical and, and medicalized. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole culture around death and dying has really changed. You know, it's changed from a community and a family event to, um, you know, medical event. Um, you know, even in the, in, a hundred or more years ago, people died at home, you know, surrounded by their loved ones. And then there was a parlor in the home where they would put, and it was usually the nicest room, and that's where they would put the body. So hmm. you know, it was all part of a ritual that was done at home. We don't do that anymore. No. Do that anymore. And that's what's made it so, uh, made us out of touch with the process and made it kind of scary, I think. Mm-hmm. And does the process always can the process span months? Like, you you know, I know you talk about like the, the you're there for the last 24 to 48 hours, but when someone is sort of actively dying, let's say of, of a prolonged illness, like a cancer and they're, they've stopped treatment and they're no longer, you know, they're in, they're in hospice, but they might not be at end stage of hospice care can their soul be kind of coming and going as they're moving towards death, even though it's not imminent yeah, yeah, in the next question. week or so? Yeah, it's a good question. And the answer is yes, um, as far as I know. But um, from, you know, sitting bedside with patients, I mean, there is one patient, that, and I write about uh, this patient in my book, Um the patient was down to something like 80 pounds and the nurse came into the room and, you know, was saying, I don't know why this patient's still here. You know, they expected this patient to die a month ago. And then the doctor came in and said the same thing. You know, why is this patient still here? Um, they, this patient hadn't eaten for, you know, a, an extended period of time. And, you know, why, why were they still there? Well, the patient communicated with me and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave when I'm ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> so this patient hadn't, hadn't finished yet. And mm-hmm. I mean, his physical body was, there wasn't much left, but his, his will and his soul were, you know, were still strong mm-hmm. uh, and powerful. So um, yeah, people can, can uh, stay for quite a period of time. And I think that's why, you know, so many people, you hear them say in hospice, you know, we don't understand patient, uh, patients, families and whatnot. We'll say, we don't understand why they're still here, you know, but um, they're not ready to leave. And, and death is a process. And 
you know, one of the reasons I got into this work was because when my mother passed away almost 20 years ago, hospice came to the house. And um, uh, at one point, the hospice uh, professional handed me a piece of paper and said, you might want to read this. And I put it aside because I thought it maybe had to do with funeral arrangements or medication. But eventually I picked it up. And when I read it, it said, when the soul is ready and the body isn't, you don't leave. If the body's ready and the soul isn't, you don't leave. If the soul's ready and the body's ready, you leave. Hmm. So I was like, wow, you know, death is a process. You know, I mean, I think my... Myself, like many other people, I'd never been around anybody who was dying. And I just kind of thought it was something like what I'd seen in the movies. And it's not at all like what you see in the movies. But, right. you know, I, I really just associated it with, with death of the physical body. I didn't understand that it, there were, you know, it was a process. And um, I think that's important to keep in mind. But I think, you know, it's not something that people that half of the equation is not something people readily connect to because of, you know, how, how things work today in our Western world. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between a death doula and a hospice worker? So, well, death doulas, you know, don't necessarily have to be, you know, uh, offer their services at hospice. I mean, they could be at hospitals, they could be, they could come to someone's home. I mean, you know, there, there are death doulas who just get involved. I said, you know, as I said earlier with wills or just, you know, get involved with funeral arrangements. So they mm-hmm. never set foot in hospice, um, hospice workers. I mean, there are all types of hospice workers. There are, you know, the nurses and aides and the medical staff, but then there are people who, who uh, might do some light forms of, of energy work. There are, um, people who do music therapy. There are people who come in with, with pets, you know, for pet therapy. There are lots of different, you know, workers at hospice. So you can be a death doula and serve in many different settings. And, you know, and hospice itself is sort of like, you know, a hospital setting, you know, where there's lots of different people there. Mm-hmm. And you, you said that when your mom passed away, this sort of opened your eyes to all of this, but why would someone want I mean, I think there are probably people out there who are thinking this is a pretty morbid job, right? It's like a like a funeral undertaker. Um, why would someone want to do some? Why do you want to do something like this? Yeah, thank you. Why do you do it? Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, it's interesting, Amy, because I think the response I've had um, talking to people since I started doing this work and since and since uh, they found out about my book is how can I do that? You know, this sounds like something I might want to do. I think, you know, a lot of people are looking for something meaningful. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if you've lost a loved one, sometimes, you you know, you want to give back, you want to see how I can get involved and maybe give back. Um, For for me, uh, my work is to be of service. I'm a psychic medium. I do some medical intuition work. Um, But my work is primarily to be of service. I mean, there's a therapeutic aspect, like what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is just another way to be of service. And, um, and I knew because I was, a, because I'm a medium, I knew I could sit bedside with the actively dying. Not everybody can. I mean, there are many doulas who, you know, have their experience, their first experience sitting bedside with someone who's dying and the patient dies on them and the doula never, 
you know, wants to volunteer, you know, wants to work with another patient who's actively dying. Not everyone can handle it, but um, I knew I could handle it because I, I mean, it sounds weird, but I talk to people who've passed all the time. So mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't particularly afraid of it. Um, and I've had a lot of patients, you know, pass while I'm sitting there, which not all doulas, that doesn't happen with all doulas. I don't know mm. why. I don't know, you know, if maybe because I kind of exist in a certain world that it's comfortable to the patients. Um, but I, I just knew it was something that I could do and something I wanted to be involved with. Well, and I think if you can give someone a beautiful death and give a family a beautiful death, it it gives a sense of peace that particularly if if I think if someone can die in their home, that can be really beautiful. I mean, it can be somewhat beautiful in a hospital setting, although I think harder because there's, it just feels more sterile. Mm-hmm. But it really is a, a gift to, to be able to give someone yeah. that as they're, as they're transitioning. Yeah. And, you know, the, the role of a death doula in hospice is to be the eyes and ears of the medical staff and the families. Um, and because the staff can't be there all the time, they can't be there every minute. And the families don't want their loved ones to die alone. And many families do not come to hospice when their loved one is, you know, is, is admitted to hospice. They're afraid. Mm. Families and loved ones are afraid to come. And, and, you know, I think in many cases they think, well, now that the person is in hospice, it's over. They're already dead, you know, in their person's mind. Right. So they, they don't, they don't come often. And, um, but they don't want their loved one to die alone. So it's comforting to them to know that there's someone there with their loved one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are, those are a, a few of the things that, you know, that I, I do as a, as a death doula. So let's talk a little bit, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about your book because you go through, obviously your t- there's 25 lessons in there. Really great read. You can pick, you, you don't have to go in order, right? It's not like you have to read lesson one to get lesson two. Um, but I picked a few that I was just curious and would like to talk a little bit more deeply about. So you, lesson six, you talk about uh, chakras transforming at the end of life. So for those who don't know what a chakra is, can you explain it? And then can you talk about how they transform and what you, what it is you see when someone's transitioning mm-hmm. in terms of the their alignment and chakras? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, first of all, chakras, are, you know, according to Eastern um, philosophy are, are basically our energetic centers. They're sort of our energetic dashboard. And um, we have, you know, anywhere from seven to I think 22 chakras, depending on how you want to count. But um, for purposes of the work that I do, I tend to focus on the seven chakras. And um, so we have our upper chakras, which are our metaphysical chakras. We have our crown chakra, which connects to the spirit world or the universe. We have our third eye chakra. Many people are familiar with the term third eye that gives us vision, clairvoyance. We have our throat chakra, which governs communication. And we have our heart chakra, which governs love and compassion and empathy. Those are our upper chakras. And they uh, are our metaphysical chakras. Uh, but we also have lower chakras, and those govern our physical body. And those are our solar plexus chakra, which is our gut, our sacral chakra, which is our reproductive organs, and our root chakra, which is what grounds us to the earth. 
Um, so, you know, I see chakras. Um, I see them when I read for people. I see auras. And I mean, I have to say, I don't see auras like, you know, people go to expos and they have an aura picture taken and they get a picture that's like purple and yellow and stuff. That's not what I see. I see content when I see auras. I see it's almost mm. like a photo album. I see all, all sorts of things on their aura. Um, I see trauma on their auras. I see spirit, you know, spirit on their auras. I see a lot of things. And the same thing with chakras. So I, I see them. And, um, and I see them with the dying as well. So what surprised me was that, they're, that uh, at end of life, people's chakras do transform. Their upper chakras, their metaphysical chakras become light-filled. They are shifting and, and mm-hmm. undergoing a transformation. And it makes sense because um, we are becoming, you know, our consciousness is, is becoming enhanced and our energy is being altered um, metaphysically so it makes sense that our upper chakras our metaphysical chakras would start to expand and you know and grow and that's that's what happens i see them becoming light filled and you know more and more light filled Mm. um so uh yeah that was you know an experience but it, it it validates to me you know what's going on with this whole process and i'll just tell you a little anecdote a few weeks ago i was in albuquerque having dinner with a friend of mine who's a hospice chaplain and she asked me about my new book, and and she asked me to describe it. And I said, well, two things. One is there's much more going on in the invisible world than we recognize. And number two, we endure. We continue. And I said, you know, I talked about how people journey at end of life. And, and it's so, almost like I wrote a book on near-death experience after effects, and I read for a lot of near-death experiencers. And when they come back from their near-death experience, they come back with their energy altered. They have more consciousness, you know, so let's say they're, you know, before the experience, they're 98% physical body and 2% consciousness. I'm just making this up. I don't know what Mm -hmm. percentages they are, but um, after their experience, they're maybe 95% physical body and 5% consciousness. They come back with, you know, enhanced consciousness, more more of that type of energy. Well, the same thing happens at end of life. Every time the, the, a uh, person travels and journeys as they're transitioning, they come back with their energy altered a little bit with more consciousness. Their physical body is declining, but their consciousness is expanding. Mm, I was, gotcha. yeah, I was telling my, my friend, the hospice chaplain, and she said to me, that makes sense because she said, you know, I see my patients and I, I, you know, and I talk to them and they tell me they've journeyed and they're always a little bit different when they come back. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's mm. interesting. It, you know, uh, there's no study that's been done on this that I know of. Uh, I'm not sure how you would study it, but. Uh, yeah, might be a little challenging to study that. Yeah, but. yeah. it would have to be studied metaphysically, but, and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, there's a question of credibility, but, um, uh, but that's, but that is what I see. And that sort of, I think also helps to explain what happens at end of life is our physical body declines, our consciousness expands. and that's why we endure. That's why I, as a medium, can have conversations with people who've passed over. Their physical body's not here anymore, but they're, they're sure there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that energy that exists that is them is still there. Mm-hmm. So your lesson eight is, is there's something larger that exists and we are all a part of it. And what does this mean? And if we embraced it, how would it change how we live? And how can we embrace it? more in when we're in human form because I think it's challenging for people 
Yeah. Do you have time for another podcast? <laughs> we could do another podcast just on that. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge. I mean, it's a huge topic. It's it's a great topic. Um, so, what is and sort of the nature of the pot? My overall podcast yeah. is trying to get people to embrace this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're all doing our parts, right? Um, so, you know, what is it that, you know, this larger force that exists? I mean, there people call it by all sorts of names. They call it spirit. They call it the universe, one, God. I mean, you know, Buddha, it just depends on your, you know, your philosophy. But the, it's a greater energy. Uh, we don't know what it is. We have no way of measuring it here on Earth, but we do know that it interacts with our electromagnetic field. Um, and uh, it's something that's beyond the material world. And it's, it's a greater force. And I believe that, you know, we like to think we control our lives and we're making all these decisions, but I really feel like there's some greater force that is playing a, a very large role in all of this. Um, uh, I don't remember all the other parts of your question. Uh, so how, how would it change if we embrace the concept of that there is something greater? How do you think it can change how we live oh, currently? Well. Yeah, I, you know, well, that's why people meditate, right? You know, you know, to get in touch with something greater so they, you know, can live their lives in a different way, I think. Um, how would it change your life? I mean, I think a lot of the um, issues that many people concern themselves, concern themselves with on earth would probably drop by the wayside. I, I'll give you an example. Um, one time I was reading for a woman and I said to her, I have your father here. Her father had passed have your father here. And she said, Oh, I, I don't want to talk to him. I'm afraid of him. I think he's mad at me. And I said, I think it's okay. And then he came in and he said, Oh, those were earth problems. Those were earth mm -hmm. issues. You know, I think people get very tied up with earth issues. I mean, we can't help it. We live on earth, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, so you're going to get tied up with, you know, all the things that distract you and that, you know, consume your day, your job, your boss who makes you angry, you know, your, your kids who are driving you crazy. I mean, you know, schedules that you have to keep. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if we were uh, in touch with this, this greater force and realize that, there's a benign, loving energy that, that is much more powerful than, you know, some of the riffraff that we encounter here on Earth. I think it might make us view life a different way and live life a different way. Now, this is, this is totally weird, but, but, I mean, it's kind of ties into your question. I was riding with my son in, in Durham uh, last weekend. He's a Duke. And um, somebody drove by with their windows down and their music blaring, just blaring. And it was like, I don't know what kind of, I don't know, calling it music is, would be like. Um, <laughs> so, and I said to my, my son, I don't understand why you never hear people like blaring meditation music from their cars. <laughs> right, Tibetan singing bowls. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that achieve sort of what you're asking about? You know, how, how do you get in touch with this higher energy? I mean, you know, what are we doing to to promote, you know, to bring it into our lives? You know, actually, I think that's like a pretty good idea. You know, if we could start a movement to get people to play meditation music or Tibetan singing bowls from their, put their windows down. <laughs> My kids would probably be mortified, right? But Well, all of our kids would be mortified. <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're past that, right? We're way, way, way past that. Well, I still have young kids, so... <laughs> 
they're like in their preteen years. So that that's a, a whole nother, you know, yeah. podcast subject. But yes, no, certainly <laughs> to, to be out and doing podcasts about this stuff means that you're past it a little bit, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there are some things we can do to promote that awareness. But, you know, there are other forces that make it difficult. I mean, you know, the, a lot of the world is not structured that way, you know, mm-hmm. living in an ashram. So, or, you know, something like that. Right. So, um, but I, I do think it would change the way we live, the way we view life, death, and everything else. You know, the name of your podcast, Life, Death, mm-hmm. and in Between. So right. it would be um, wonderful. And, you know, and maybe we're moving towards that. I mean, more and more people, there's a shift taking place right now. It's affecting all mankind. So, you know, maybe we are kind of inching towards that. Mm -hmm. So the last lesson I want to cover, I I think I need, I need some explanation on this. Uh, Lesson 24, as we ascend, we pass through higher levels of consciousness. What does that look like? Mm. So, Okay, so, you know, others have asked me about that, and um, all I could, you know, what I can tell you is I see people, as I mentioned earlier, I see them journeying when they're transitioning, and they they may start out by visiting sort of familiar places on Earth uh, where there's some physical attachment. Um, they may progress from there to... Uh, returning to old memories. You know, there are various levels of, of um, engagement and consciousness that they, they move through as, as they're in this process. But at the end, as they get ready to ascend and, and then after they pass, they're in a different realm. They're in a different dimension of consciousness. Um, and even when people, after they pass, uh, probably about after the first year, they're in a different level of consciousness there too. I mean, I've read for people who, um, people have asked me, you know, my mother died six months ago and I'd like to get in touch with her. Well, first of all, there's a rule in mediumship. I don't know if you're aware of this, that you don't try to connect with someone in the first year because they're traveling and they're busy and they're trying to get adjusted. However, I will always try because if someone wants to come through, oftentimes they want to come through. And if they want to come through, I mean, I'm the channel for them you know, for, to allow that. But, you know, a lot of times when they do come through in that way, they say things like, who took, the, who got the sofa in my living room? <laughs> right. Like the more earthly concerns. Yeah. 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 And it's like, why would they, you know, if you talk to someone who's passed and who's been gone for a long time, they're not asking about their sofa, you know? So, you know, in those early stages, they're still sort of attached to the earth. So, you know, that's kind of a lower dimension of the higher dimension. So there mm-hmm. are you know, multiple dimensions Um, and, you know, perhaps a way to look at them is, you know, frequency or vibration. I mean, we don't really have a good term to address it, but, um, it's, it's a, it's a concept that's pervasive through the whole death and dying process and, you know, and then in the afterlife. But it doesn't mean that they're any less connected to us, the higher their consciousness is. It just might mean that the messages that they are bringing to us are more about sort of a global message rather than, you know, why'd you give my dad the car (laughs) or why did, you know, how could you have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They, no, they're not any less connected. I mean, they're connected they're, they're connected, you know, wherever you reach them, they're connected. Um, but I think they're, 
you know, initially maybe a little bit more attached to their physical body and to earth than, you know, as time goes on. But, you know, they continue to exist. We continue to exist as pure energy and we leave behind those earthly problems, those earth issues. And, um, you know, what, what's left is, you know, very high vibration and love and peace and joy. And, um, that's, you know, that's what it all is. Um, mm-hmm. don't exist the same way here on earth. I mean, you can get to them through meditation and some other practices, but it's still not the same. It's sort of like, I see people advertising classes on near death experiences, how you can have a near death experience. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you can't, you cannot right. go take a class to have a near death experience. You're not going to go take a class to learn how to die either. I mean, you could take a class about dying, but it's, this is something that, it's, it's out of your hand, you know, it's largely. Right. Right. I mean, it's sort of even like when you take a class about how you're going to give birth, right? Like, right. right. Th- th- there, it may go that way, right? but it might not. And you sort of have to just go with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you've probably met people who say, you know, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And that, you know, and then it doesn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. So if people want to reach out and find you, where can they do that? Your book is out, pre-ordered. Some places you can find it. Some places you're going to have to order it and wait. But um, hopefully by the time this podcast is out, which is going to be next week, it will be readily available. Right. Well, it's it's available for pre-order on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and indiebound.org. Um, it's also... Uh, it, it, it's in some bookstores now it will be in all the bookstores soon. Um, you can order it on my website, Deborah diamond, psychic.com. You can get in touch with me through my website, uh, Deborah diamond, psychic.com. I do readings. I do uh, mediumship and psychic readings and medical intuition. Sometimes people combine all of them into one reading. Sometimes they just want to do one. Um, I read in person in Maryland, but I also read long distance by Skype, zoom and, uh, FaceTime, just like we're doing our podcast here, works the same. And um, I read for people all, all over the world that way. So um, now I also want to say in terms of the book, um, one thing that we're going to do is, you know, I'm going to ask people, I'm asking people to, after they read the book, to post their reviews on Amazon and then send me a screenshot of the review to diamond.debrah at gmail.com. I'm going to repeat that. Diamond. Oh, and I'll put it in my show notes okay. as well. Yeah. Go so ahead. If they, if they write a review and send me a screenshot of the review, we're going to do an online book club with the author, me. And it's an exclusive. <laughs> that's, I am the author. So, uh, and we're, we're going to do um, an exclusive book club. There'll be, it'll be interactive. There'll be Q and a. So I think um, people can read the book and then, you know, I'm sure they're going to have questions or, you know, have their own stories to tell. And this way we'll form some community around it as well. Wow. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today, Deborah. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.